Some people think that salvation is all about saving us from sin and eternal damnation. That is a very shallow understanding about salvation. Salvation is more than just being saved from eternal damnation. There's something greater, and that is God Himself. God wants us to have intimate fellowship with Him. Essentially, salvation is about God delivering us, lifting us up, drawing us close to Him all the way until eternity. Our text for tonight's message is taken from Exodus 19, verse 1 to 6. Let us begin with verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had peach in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. It had been three months since the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and journeyed into the wilderness. Now they had come to settle down at a location in front of the mountain. This was known as Mount Sinai. They would remain there for the rest of Exodus. This would be the place where God would give them the Ten Commandments and followed by the instructions for building the tabernacle. But most importantly, it would be the place whereby God would speak to them through his servant Moses. As verse 3 says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. It was very significant for Moses to go up to the mountain to meet God, because God was almighty. He was exalted. Therefore, it was the most appropriate place to meet him. Whenever we look at the mountains, we will marvel at the awesomeness and how majestic the mountains were. So, the Bible often would use mountains to describe God's supreme majesty. For example, the psalmist says in Psalm 36 verse 6, The righteousness of God is like the great mountains. What was the message God gave to the people? God began by reminding the people what he had done for them. The most important part of history, the most important part of our lives is not to remember 
what we have done, but what God has done to us and for us. So verse 4 says, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Basically, this was a summary of their salvation. Notice it consists of several actions. It has to do with a delivering out, a lifting up, and a drawing close. I will use these three action verbs as our points for today's message. The title is, I will carry you on eagles' wings. Firstly, the people were reminded that God was the one who had delivered them out of Egypt. He had humiliated the gods of Egypt, defeated them through the ten plagues, and drowned the Pharaoh's armies in the Red Sea. That was how God delivered his people. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. Right before their eyes, the children of Israel had witnessed the power of God delivering them. Secondly, the people were reminded that God was the one who had carried them on eagles' wings. How I bear you on eagles' wings. Take a moment and consider the picture of a mother eagle caring for her young. The baby eagles are especially helpless, defenseless, vulnerable. And they will remain in the nest for as long as 100 days. Then when the time comes for the young eagles to leave the nest and learn to fly, the mother eagle would stir up the nest. One by one, the little eagles would attempt to fly. But the mother eagle does not abandon her young. She would watch them very closely if they experience any difficulties, immediately she would fly down below them and then carry them on her wings to safety. That was the expression, I bear you on eagles' wings. It is a beautiful picture of God's protective nurture and tender care. This was precisely what God had done to the children of Israel. After he delivered them out of Egypt, as they journeyed into the wilderness, they were vulnerable to thirst, hunger, to the weather. They were susceptible to all kinds of enemies like the Amalekites who attacked them from behind. But God was the one who watched over them and like 
a mother eagle, he carried them on his wings, providing them with food, water, shelter, and victory. Dear friend, is this not also a picture of our salvation? First, God has delivered us from the bondage of sin. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as we live our lives on this earth, you and I need help, comfort, protection, provision, whether physical, spiritual, or emotional needs. We have needs. And God, like a mother eagle, watches over her young closely. There's never a moment whereby God will take his eyes away from us. He watches over us all the time. And the moment you and I face difficulties, we need help, he comes. Just like the eagle who fly low and then carry her young on her wings. That is how amazing our God is. That is how much He loves us. He not only delivers us, but He also protects us all the time. But salvation is not only about delivering us from sin and death. Salvation is not only protecting us from harm and danger. God wants to draw close to us. He wants us to draw close to Him. This brings us to our third point, a drawing close. If you remember at the beginning of the Exodus, God said to Moses, go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices and worship me. When the Pharaoh refused to obey God, God let them out with a mighty hand. And then he led them all the way to this holy mountain whereby they would worship him in all his majesty. So the Exodus was not only about getting Israel out of Egypt. It was about getting Egypt close to God, to draw close to Him. Dear friend, do you realize that this is also true of our salvation? Some people think that salvation is all about saving us from sin and eternal damnation. Salvation is all about being sustained, protected, and provided for. Those are only parts of salvation. So these people would have this mindset that as long as I'm safe, as long as I am being sustained, my needs are being met, that is all that matters. That is a very shallow 
understanding about salvation. Salvation is more than just being saved from eternal damnation. Salvation is more than just being sustained and protected. There's something greater. And that is God himself. God wants us to have intimate fellowship with him. If we may consider the three theological words used for salvation, which I believe you are very familiar, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Indeed, we are saved and justified through the death and blood of Jesus Christ. But our salvation does not stop at justification. Our salvation continues in our sanctification, whereby every day of our lives, God sanctifies us through His Word, through the wonder-working of His Spirit. But our salvation does not stop there too. It continues until our glorification whereby we will dwell with God for all eternity. Essentially, salvation is about God delivering us, lifting us up, drawing us close to Him all the way until eternity. What is the purpose of God saving us? What is the purpose of God doing all these things for us? God's mighty work of salvation demands a response from us. Look at verse 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. The word covenant was a reference to God's unbreakable promise. Remember, God made his covenant with Abraham, promising to give him a land and a people who would bless the whole world. God confirmed his covenant with Abraham's sons, Isaac and Jacob. And in order for God to keep his promise, he had brought the people out of Egypt. So God had kept his promise. Now the Israelites had to play their part in keeping the covenant, obeying God fully, trusting in him. Here it does not mean that Unless they obey God, unless they keep his covenant, then they will be safe. No. How do we know? Remember, God had already delivered them, lifted them up, and drew them close to him. Can you imagine if it was the other way around 
And God said, if you will obey my voice, if you will keep my covenant, then I will deliver you. Then I will lift you up and carry you on eagle's wings. Then I will draw you close to myself. If that was the case, nobody would be saved, including you and me. Instead, God began by reminding the people, do you remember how I have delivered you? Do you remember how I have carried you on eagle's wings? Do you remember how I have drawn you close to myself? And he went on to say, Now, therefore, which means after you have been saved by me, if you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure out of all the people in this world. God could have saved the rest of the people or chosen anyone out of this world because the whole earth belongs to him. But he chose the children of Israel. In other words, I have saved you. I have chosen you out of the billions or at that time millions in this world. If you will obey my commandments, if you will obey me, then you would be able to manifest yourself before this unbelieving world as my peculiar treasure. That is what it means. We all understand what treasure means, right? Treasure is something very precious, very special. But what about the word peculiar? The dictionary would often define the word peculiar as strange or weird. But the biblical meaning is different. It is something that has been purchased. Indeed, the children of Israel were purchased by the blood of the unblemished lamb. So they were special. They were a treasure, something very valuable. But as they lived their lives in the wilderness, they would be considered strange and weak, weird, peculiar by the pagans or by the inhabitants of the promised land. Because they were the only nation whereby the people were circumcised. Think about this. They were the only nation who worshipped one God. They were the only nation to obey a set of commandments 
different from the rest of the religions. They had to practice biblical separations and so forth. The pagans would scorn and mock them. But in the eyes of God, they were a peculiar treasure. Likewise, in the eyes of the world, we Christians may seem as strange and weird. But in God's perspective, we are special. We are a peculiar treasure, bought with a price. And this price is none other than the precious blood of our Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to the Almighty God. We are His peculiar treasure. Some years ago, when I was serving in a Christian ministry in Singapore, we tried to send a container to a third world country. Basically, the items in the container were furniture and other appliances that we wanted to send to help the Christians who were poor in a third world country. As the container arrived in a third world country, it was detained by the custom authority. They had no reason to detain our container because we have fulfilled all the requirements, but simply because they wanted us to pay them some money as a bribe. But as Christians, we do not want to have anything to do with corruption. So we refuse. The custom officer said to us, well, the amount I ask you to pay is very, very, very small. Indeed, the amount is very, very small, which we can afford. But our response is, it doesn't matter how much the amount is. It is against our Christian principle. And then he threatened us. If you do not pay this small, small amount, your container will be detained for several months. We rather let the container be detained than pay the bribe. Later on, our container was released, and I remember this custom officer said, you Christians are so strange and weird. Dear friend, perhaps you have been called names in your workplace. You have been classified as strange in your business dealings. Your children have been called strange, weird in their schools. All because they behave differently from the rest of the world. 
They refuse to laugh at dirty jokes. They refuse to attend worldly activities. In the eyes of the world, they will always be regarded as strange and weird. But in the eyes of God, they are a peculiar treasure bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Next God said, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. The word kingdom means kingly or sovereignty. A priest is someone who offers sacrifices. A king is someone who rules. When you put these two words together, it is so remarkable. The Israelites were called a kingdom of priests. Meaning to say, every individual in Israel was called to serve God as a priest. They were called to worship God as a priest. And as a corporate body, as an entire nation, they were called a kingdom of priests to minister to the unbelieving world. They were the only people who worshipped the one living and true God. Remember God's promise to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed through you as a kingdom of priests. All the earth, the people living on the face of this earth will be blessed. As believers, we serve as priests who can enter into the presence of God. Think about this. Every week, we come to church. We come with our spiritual sacrifices, like our prayers, our worship, our singing, our offerings, our services, and so forth. We do not need anyone to represent us before God. Unlike the Roman Catholic Church, we do not need to go to the confession box in order for the priests to intercede for us. We go straight to God. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Of course, there are spiritual benefits for pastors, ministers, elders to pray for us because they are able to understand the word of God, to discern and pray according to the will of God. But the point I'm making is that we do not need human mediator. You and I do not need anyone to mediate on behalf of us 
There is no man between us and the Lord because we are priests. And there is no man above us but the Lord. And we are kings. We are a kingdom of priests. Isn't it amazing? And as a kingdom of priests, Jesus commands us, you must live as the salt and the light of this world to point the people to God. That is our duty and responsibility. And the way for us to do that is to obey God fully, completely, 100%, and keep his commandments. Although the vast majority of the world may not listen to us, but one day, God promised that you and I will rule as kings and priests together with Jesus Christ in his millennial kingdom. Revelation 1 verse 6 says, because of Jesus Christ, he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Can you fathom this truth that one day we will truly rule over the world as priests, as kings in Christ's millennial kingdom. Do you not look forward to this blessed time? Finally, God said, you shall be unto me an holy nation. The word nation means a people, and the word holy means to be separated, to be set apart. 61 times in the New Testament, this word holy was translated as saints. In other words, the nation of Israel was not only a physical nation, but more importantly, a spiritual nation, an holy nation, a nation of saints that have been set apart, separated unto God. If you are a believer, you are a saint because Jesus Christ has set you apart unto himself. Again, the Roman Catholic Church has some strange ideas about saints. They believe that the church has the power to canonize a person to be a saint. But the church has no such power. Only God himself can set you apart unto himself. According to the Roman Catholic teachings, 
A saint is someone who had died and was in heaven. Most of the time, they had been martyred or they had done many good works. And during their lifetime, they must have at least one confirmed miracle that would be recognized by the church. Only then, the church would canonize the person as a saint. So they have Saint Teresa, Saint Nicholas, Saint Anne, and they were all dead. Here in Exodus 19 verse 6, the children of Israel were still very much alive at this point in time. And they were called an holy nation, a nation of saints. And if you read through the Bible, for example, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in Ephesians 1 verse 1, to the saints which are at Ephesus. You'll be foolish to think that Paul was writing to a group of dead saints at Ephesus, at Corinth, right? He was simply writing to the believers at Ephesus and Corinth. So the believers are called saints. You and I are called saints. Set apart, separated unto God, means that we no longer belong to Satan. We are no longer victims of the bondage of sin. We have entered into a new relationship with God because of our union with Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus Christ. Well, some of us here may be wondering, it is wonderful to be called a peculiar treasure, to be called an holy nation, to be called a kingdom of priests. But aren't these terms only applicable to the children of Israel? How can we take these terms and apply them to ourselves? What authority do we have to take these terms and apply to ourselves? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let us all read this verse together. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
can you say what had been said to the people in the Old Testament is also said to the people in the New Testament, which includes you and me. We are a peculiar treasure. We are a kingdom of priests. We are an holy nation. Dear friend, like the Israelites, out of the billions of people in this world, God has chosen us. He has saved us out of His love, grace, and mercy. For what purpose? So that we will live our lives as peculiar treasure, as a kingdom of priests, and as a holy nation, a nation of saints, to point this unbelieving world to Him. It is not easy for us to do that. The world will find us strange and weird when we live our lives as the salt and the light. The world will mock and scorn at us. We may face persecutions, hostilities, animosities, trials, tribulations in our workplaces, in the society, in our schools, wherever we go. The moment we profess to be Christians and live our lives according to the Bible, people will laugh at us because they find us strange and weird. But the same God who said to Moses, look at the last part of verse 6, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. He is also speaking to us this evening. God knows everything. All you need to do is to obey Him fully and keep His commandments. And like a mother eagle, God will not abandon us. He is always watching over us at every moment as we live our days on this earth. The moment we face difficulties, the moment we experience troubles, He will come. Like the mother eagle who will fly below the young ones and carry them on her wings. God will carry you and me on His mighty wings. That is most comforting. The same God who said, how I bear you on eagles' wings, is also speaking to us tonight. As we live our lives as the salt and the light of this world, He will help us. And He will come, carry us, lift us up on eagles' wings. Do you trust Him?
Will you obey Him? Will you keep your, His commandments to live as a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, indeed, Thou who has spoken to Thy people in the Old Testament has also spoken to thy people in the New Testament. And thou is also speaking to us tonight. Our salvation is all because of thee. Thou hast delivered us. Thou hast lifted us up. And thou hast drawn us close to thyself. And thou will continue to do thy salvific work all the way until we see thee face to face for all eternity we will be with thee. And our response to such a mighty work of salvation is that we will live our lives as a peculiar treasure, as a kingdom of priests, and as an holy nation. The only way for us to do that is to obey thee fully and to keep thy commandments faithfully. Yes, we may face troubles, we may face hostilities, we may be rendered as strange and weird, but our God will help us. And as thou said to the Israelites, Remember how I bear thee on eagles' wings. Will thou not help us? Most certainly. We believe that thou will help us. Thou will carry us on thy mighty wings. So be with us, O Lord. Help us to live such a life that thou hast commanded us so that all of us who are recipients of thy grace, love and mercy, that we will truly be a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests and an holy nation, all to the glory of thy precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Paul Cheng in his series on the book of Exodus. Every Friday, Pastor Paul walks us through a potentially familiar part of biblical history to draw out potentially unfamiliar spiritual lessons. I'm your host, Joshua Na, and for a complete library of sermon recordings and transcripts from this series, including today's episode, visit our website or YouTube channel under our church name, Bethel Bible Presbyterian Church. Thank you for listening, and see you next Friday, here on Tried and True.